0: Whether it's digital or analog design that keeps you busy, today, it's all about the experience. This is Experience by Design, a podcast exploring the latest trends and solutions, helping create the most intriguing experiences you can imagine, and the ones you can't.
1: Hosted by Brian Mazaros. Welcome to another episode of the Experience by Design podcast. I'm your host, Brian Mazeros, and today we welcome Amy Lucas and Darlene Van Oenden from Infinite Scale. Established in 2002, Infinite Scale is a sports design consultancy for the world's most attended sports venues and biggest sporting events. They integrate strategy, identity and design to touch every facet of the sports fans experience. Without question, you have seen their work as they are the masters of design behind the college football playoff national championship the new Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, NASCAR events, and most recently working closely with the NHL's return to play to provide end-to-end design for the two stadiums in Canada. It is a pleasure to welcome both of you to the show. Thanks for joining, guys.
2: Excellent. Thanks for having us. We're honored to be here. Thank you.
1: Pleasure. I've been really excited about uh, about chatting with you guys for a while. Um, so <laughs> um, I'm super amped and it's actually kind of good timing too. So I guess i got to start off with, if you can just talk a little bit about Infinite Scale, um, you know, what do you guys, you know, do? How did the focus kind of turn to sports? And just, yeah, just all the exciting things that you guys do.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, this is Amy speaking here, and I'm one of the partners of Infinite Scale. We started in 2002, right after the Salt Lake uh, 2002 Olympic Winter Games. Myself and my two partners, Molly Mazzolini and Cameron Smith, Um, we decided we wanted to start our own business. So we've now been in business 18 years. Infinite Scale is a sport design consultancy. We work with leagues and teams to create their branded experience. Now, when we started Infinite Scale in 2002, we weren't specifically sports. Although coming off of the Olympics, obviously, sport has always been our passion. And um, one year into our business, we had the opportunity to bid on the NFL Super Bowl. And we put together a turnkey team made up of five different companies, and fortunately, we were awarded the project. So we worked on the uh, the NFL Super Bowl for five Super Bowls Super Bowl thirty nine um, through forty three, and it was incredible. Um, from there, you know, we really just were working on a lot of sport projects, and in two thousand thirteen, that's when we really claimed to be a sport design consultancy. We shifted, even though we were about 75% sport and that's where we were focusing, we were getting more and more sport projects and I think the tipping point was when we started working with the 49ers at Levi Stadium. And the the sport world was growing so much that we really wanted to focus on it and that's how we ultimately became focused 100% on sports.
1: That's very cool. Yeah, I was, I was, I mean, I've always been kind of curious in, on how, you know, you ended up going in, in that direction towards, um, towards sports, but you do a lot more too. I know, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the event side, but I mean, you're also heavily involved in, in wayfinding and other facets of design beyond just event branding, correct? There's a lot more that you do with, with these kind of environments and brands.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Coming, coming off of the Olympics, obviously the Olympics and the Super Bowl were more in the sport, the, the major sport world. But, you know, we work with a lot of different entities, sport teams and leagues and in the permanent side when they're building a new stadium or renovating a new stadium, working on their wayfinding and the corporate partner integration into the, the new facility. And, um, I know we'll be speaking a lot about that today as well, but, we have, I would say, you know, most of the work we do is actually more on the permanent side, but we we still have a heavy focus on the sport world and the event side. And um, it's nice to be part of both because every sport venue that we work on host events. So as we're working on the permanent side with the integration and thinking about how How this venue will host the future event that maybe we'll be working on as well. So we have the, the holistic um, view of how fans experience a venue from going to a game of their, their team or coming there to experience a sporting event, um, a specialty event such as, uh, the NHL Winter Classic or a Super Bowl or the College Football National Championship. So we get, we get the holistic viewpoint
1: now you've been working with the nhl for a while um so i'm i'm kind of curious you know we i briefly mentioned it in the beginning now i know you had worked on um the return to play and the branding within both stadiums up in up in canada so i'm i'm really curious um you know when did you get engaged with that that process because i know a lot of us here were obviously anxiously waiting for what the plans would be and but I'm sure you were involved with that much sooner than, uh, say, any of us even knew that that was happening. But how early were you on and, and how involved in that process were you in thinking through what, what the stadium experience would look like?
2: Yeah, that's that's a great question. I mean, we have been working with the NHL for over 12 years, so since, since 2008. And um, this working with them, we, we started conversations with them. As soon as, uh, as soon as they immediately shut down, because we have we are strategic partners with them because of this long term relationship. You know, they we started having conversations about what they were going to do with their season with or without fans, and this led to us um, getting involved in the Stanley Cup. Typically, uh, the the Stanley Cup is it's hosted. Um, it's the, They have the home-hosted playoff model, so those models aren't really conducive to dressing a venue. The internal teams play a big part, typically, and you go between the cities. But because of the challenges of COVID, you know, obviously, the, all the leagues were, were challenged to think of a new way of, um, of, of playing. And so we started the return-to-play conversations with the NHL in early May, and, you know, we weren't really at the mercy of a schedule, but really waiting, um, more at the mercy of what was happening with COVID and what was happening in our world and how the league was going to respond to that. So as, as the time, the, the time kept, you know, getting tighter and tighter, we learned of the two venues only two weeks in advance. And actually we were even planning an event in, in Las Vegas at T-Mobile. Um, but then that shifted, and due to COVID concerns, the NHL decided that they they had to host in Canada. And July 4th weekend, we took our first site visit. July 5th, we launched the design formally, and by July 19th, we were on the ground installing. So design, holistic design, uh, integration from the static seat kills that you saw at both venues to the digital integration. So... Um, yeah, it was a, it was a wild time because it w- it was more time planning and conversations and strategy and discussion, and then two weeks to actually do the design, implement it, get it printed, get it produced, and be there and be part of being in the bubbles. We had a team member Brian Murphy that was in Toronto, and another team member uh, Michael Gallagher that was in Edmonton. So we had team members there in the bubble, and they were it was incredible, absolutely incredible.
1: Now will that scheme change as the season goes on? Because now, obviously, they're they're into the playoffs. Um, will any of that change, or is that all more on the digital part of it that'll take shape as different teams make their way through the playoffs?
2: Yes, it, that definitely is more on the digital side as different teams make their way through the playoffs. Because you know you're able you're able to to interchange that more easily as as the teams change out. So that's the beauty of technology, where you've got you know the static integration, which is more about the, the constant branding and corporate partner integration, and then you have the digital side, which allows for that changeability. So then t- a little bit about the,
1: the fan experience, because the one thing that's obviously a little bit different with NHL is that there's not an integration of like the NBA has Microsoft teams and... They're doing, um, you know, MLB is doing the the cardboard cutouts and which which are a little interesting to see. Um, and then you have um, obviously various football clubs that are doing the large LED screens with Zoom. And uh, But I, I know the NHL is, I think they increase the amount of cameras that they have so that you see different angles that you would not have normally seen during the season. But was there any conversation just around... You know why they decided to go that direction and not, not have that type of interaction. Or, you know how how was repreved to any of that, and and the, the, was that part of maybe a, a scope? I'm I'm just I'm curious on on that part.
2: Yeah, well, um, in regards to the NHL, I mean, um, certainly there were conversations about you know what how they were going to integrate fans into this experience. Um, Steve Mayer with the NHL Events Department, he really led this sports return. And um, we worked very, very closely with the NHL Events Department. And, you know, not, knowing that there weren't going to be fans in the building was definitely something that they wanted to embrace. But, um, you know, they wanted to express acknowledgement of frontline workers and, you know, the integration of the, um, the social movement. But, the NHL, there are actually um, digital fan integration and in, on in the venue. It's just not broadcast um, as as much as some of the other sport leagues are doing. So they do they did integrate. They brought fans in. They actually have um, uh, like teams fan clubs to kind of cheering the team chant. Yeah, and and they're on the digital screens more like a, a team cheering section. But you don't see it a lot on broadcast, so it, it's more for the players there to get the you know the excitement of the fans because that's that's one thing you know all of our athletes are missing right now, and I think they're also appreciating the fans even more because having the fans there in person gives them energy, gives them, you know it creates excitement the, the 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 loud cheering, and and now it's all fabricated and in, in a in a unique way a way that we're not used to. I guess we're getting more used to experiencing it. But, you know, how, how do those athletes, you know, be their best? Um, I think, you know, having the fans there in person uh, certainly gives them that energy, but it's it's a new experience. So the NHL did integrate it in a very different way um, than some of the other leagues, but a little less shown on broadcast.
1: Well, that's a, it's a good – actually, you brought up a good point because I've not really heard, uh, heard too much um... – even the questions asked about how the athletes feel about the environment. Um, I know it's obviously different not having the sports, uh, having the fans there and surrounded by it. But I mean, do you get the sense that the athletes have been, you know, growing receptive of of at least being an environment where there's some of their familiarities and the sights and and the sounds and um, the kind of, you know, experience that they're going into? Are, Are they, you know, has there been any feedback from the athlete's side?
2: Not not spe- uh, specific direct conversations, but um, you know, Darlene and I were chatting about this yesterday. You know how they're infusing um, cheering noises and you know even like like you know, loud music and and anything to pump up the athletes. Because again, if you you know re- recall when you go to any of these large scale sporting events. I mean, you, you just, you, the whole stadium and arenas, they vibrate, right. From, from the cheering, from the pounding your feet. I mean, there is such incredible energy. So I imagine that the athletes have a, another layer of challenge to truly be their, you know, perform their best, but, you know, certainly there's incredible sports happening right now, and it's really awesome to see, but it would be interesting to, to interview athletes and kind of, you know, hear from their perspective what they are experiencing right now
0: one thing that has been interesting is it's i've heard commentators talk about the difference it's you know Mm -hmm. they're aware of they have to really project energy i think to keep the feeling of the broadcast consistent but they themselves are just as sensitive to the waves of emotion that they experience in the building and um, I think they've been talking a lot about watching how active the benches, the other players are for their teammates, knowing that uh, there's this need to find energy to feel that common goal coming from others um, to kind of replace the boots that you get from the fans. A lot of the NBA players have been mentioning you know, the difference in how they're trying to adjust. And, and as they head into, you know, mid first round of the playoffs, this sense of how do we motivate ourselves? We're, you know, and, and essentially like they're all focused on a common goal of winning. And it just really speaks to their professionalism in, in approaching these unusual circumstances without a huge drop off in the level of play. So I think it's really interesting to watch. Um, Mm -hmm. I think sports fans are realizing another level of respect for what these athletes bring, really. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about yourself shooting hoops in your backyard rather than in front of, you know, 40,000 people, it's like it's a big difference.
1: (laughs) It's just just a little bit. It's
0: just a a little. I mean, you know, we rig up the speakers. (laughs)
1: I puppet my own crowd noise. Yeah, um, you know, I, I just put Xbox on in the background, and uh, I just, yeah, there you go. It, so.
0: It's I wild. Think, you know, it's yeah. kind of it's kind of intriguing to also. Um, we were watching some Bundesliga, some German uh, soccer, and they really had this highly orchestrated crowd noise. That, as a person watching it on broadcast, you don't know if the players are hearing it or not. But as a television viewer, it certainly completes the experience and makes you feel like there's no gap in what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. And that it kind of provides that sense of escapism that I think people were missing when there was a pause on seemingly everything in our lives. Yep.
1: I, I do agree, though, with the other point. I think, you know, when the reboot started happening, um, I guess the, the, you know, the beauty of it is there was no wrong or right answer to how do you approach it. Um, everyone experimented with it. And I mean, definitely to the athletes credit, um, I think all the leaks came back stronger than I think some expected after the, the break. And, um, and then I think the experience just around it from how they filmed it to the announcers to the brand elements that you, you would see scattered in, I think have started to take shape. So it's nice. It's, it's nice that I think that happened quicker than some had thought, um, so we didn't have to wait, you know, for a couple months for them to to figure it out. So that that's nice. Um, mm-hmm. but I guess I just wondering too, like are are there lessons to be to be learned. I mean, hopefully we're not dealing with this come next season for, for all the sports, but are there aspects of it that you see from how you approach, you know, branding and, and tying in the fans and the identity that you can see wanting to adapt or, or put into process or into practice? For next season or the next event? I mean, is there anything out of here that you think is a real takeaway from it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that we we definitely have learned a lot um, working with our clients and, um, you know, through this uncertain time. And I, I think coming back, you know, when, when we get back to, um, you know, having full stadiums um, fans experiencing, I think the appreciation for fans being there in person will be heightened not only from the fans' perspective but also from the athletes' perspective. Um, just a new level of appreciation. So you know, sport leagues and teams um, at the venues, they'll 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 want to enhance that experience, take it to a new, lo- another level. As as all entities are doing, even museums, you know, how do you pull people back? How do you ensure people feel safe? How do you make sure you're integrating safety and health um, into, you know, the experience? And there's gonna be, there's definitely going to be a transition for sure. And um, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I mean, I, I know we're all, uh, we're all just in this wild time together and, but, um, we're going to get through this. We're, this will pass. It will get to the other side, but things will be different. Things will be different moving forward. And, um, you know, I, if I had a crystal ball, I could tell you a little more, but, but we don't know. And that's the, that's the, that's the thing about the time here, the times that wish, we're experiencing. I wish, Every, did. I, wish did. I know me like, too. My, my whole calendar
1: uh, maybe that should be another
0: podcast.
1: Summer. It's a whole other
0: podcast. Heart. I <laughs> think it's time to order that thing.
1: <laughs> my whole my whole sporting year was devastated. I think from from March on, yeah, um, as you as you both know, very avid with Seton Hall, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah. cried. I still cry.
0: I was so disappointed for the Oregon women's basketball team. It took me a couple of weeks to recover. Yeah, I was totally. My but my spirit, is, is in emotional. part, was broken.
1: it, it is. I, I think there was. I think a lot of a lot of people definitely. Um, well, I mean, you you were locked in, and, and there was no sports, and there was no. There's nothing, uh, unfortunately, in, in that sense. So um, I think it's nice, it was to so see, immediate. it's nice to see the progress and where we've come from from that point back in March.
0: Yeah, that yeah. sense of well, it just stopped immediately was probably the strangest part of it because one day you were in a deep anticipation. You were thinking ahead. The next mm-hmm. day, it was just blank. And that, there was no yeah. stepping down. It just it sort of came on quickly and then just didn't go anywhere else. I think there was one interesting point related to this moment, which is that the opera, the the switch to presenting sports rather than a direct experience seems to have moved forward. Uh, the league's focus and emphasis on um, AR, VR kind of, you know, um, Oculus view be in the moment. Um, those were also, those were advertised in the past couple of years, but now I think it's sort of an add on experience or the way to get closer to the game when nobody can be close to it. And I think that Mm -hmm. designing and thinking about fan experiences from in person to at home, um, everything will just kind of move forward at a more even level. I think that there will be a bigger move to cater to people's personal preferences, but to keep their connection to their team or players um, in a way that maybe there wasn't as much focus before because there was so much activity and, and the crowds were still coming. And so I think that will be one thing that will come out of this is, that they have to provide such a broad range of experiences to fans.
1: Well, how do you? Because it's actually, you know, kind of a nice little segue to something I'm very curious to, to chat about for a few minutes. Is you know, obviously, you know, looks like the NFL is going to get started, and you know, there's the two two new stadiums you have, Allegiant with the Raiders, and and SoFi out in in LA, and. So I'm kind of wondering because these these you know the way the stadiums are designed today, not really even just for NFL but in other leagues, you know there's there's a big technology advancements from more um, accessibility for Wi-Fi to screens to um, just just more opportunities to really tie in the fan experience. And so I kind of wonder with things like that, does that take away from any authenticity? To, to to the game. And I guess where I'm I'm getting at is, is like you you go into some of the older stadiums, you know, Lambeau Field or, you know, I remember going to Giant Stadium before, you know, MetLife was built. And there's just this authenticity, you know, being part of this experience, the the character of the building lend itself to feeling involved or or part of this the game that was going on. And just as stadiums are I mean they're they're beautifully designed. I don't want to take away from there, but do you find it take away from the authenticity of, of the sport and the environment? And then, how does design maybe bring that back together and ground it? Is is I'm, I'm maybe I'm overthinking that. I'm, I'm curious from your perspective.
0: I, I think it's a really interesting question because essentially, as um, cable television providers have these packages that present you know the whole world to you, teams are really fighting to get fans out of their man cave. And just imagine what that's going to be like now if people's sense of personal safety is impacted. But there is no way to replicate the experience of watching a moment with 80,000 other people and the rush that that energy in a place, in a moment, gives to you physically and emotionally. And so they've been walking that line now for, I don't know, 20 years, maybe, maybe more. Um, And I think there's a couple of different avenues that you see, there was some commentary about the NBA bubble, how the fans who were selected, were not looking at their phones as much as as fans in arenas. And I thought that was kind of intriguing. Um, whether it was about real focus or just that if they look, you know, that they're they're more intensely connected to the game because only the most intense fans are selected. But these mm-hmm. all of these amenities around technology are attempting to keep fans engaged how they want to be engaged. Whether it's through the closed loop Wi-Fi to watch specific in-stadium replay feeds or get specialized content directed to them so it's it's you see and what i was talking about before like connecting at fans on their level you see that already happening just to augment the in-person experience make sure that it still holds the value to people who can stay at home in their very comfy room and watch all the games that they want to watch like they still have feel like they have to kind of incentivize those experiences. And, you know, now you see the primary difference between um, legacy stadiums, like Lambeau, and newer stadiums, like Allegiant Stadium and SoFi is essentially that in the in the early model, it was very much like the Roman Colosseum, you were in you were outside, or you were watching the action. So you know, the concourse experience is very distinct from the bowl field game viewing experience. Modern stadiums tend to try to blur that. They tend to try to keep fans engaged even when they're in a concession line, whether that's through the screen, through the uh, audio feed, or just the fact that they can turn around and still see the field. And so, you know, it's it's not so much how we might change that approach. But it's really, um, once you get involved in a place, I think building on the intended fan experience because they get customized in different ways, whether it's what the team perceives as important or just to craft a different experience. It's almost like these these facilities become testing grounds to try different things. Um, so. I guess in that way, you know, sometimes people say, oh, you only work on sports. Doesn't that get boring? And it's like, well, mm-hmm. not exactly, because all of these venues <clears throat> are really geared towards their fans and trying to build a very specific experience for their audience. Um, how, do you-
1: how do you find that, though, when you work in, in environments where they're either, say, pop-up experiences, like, like an NHL winter classic? or working in environments that are multi-purpose, in a sense. Um, so I know you guys did some work out in, in Detroit, so you have, obviously, the Pistons and the Red Wings that share the same stadium. So, I mean, what kind of challenges do you see in, you know, with, with that kind of stemming off what we were just chatting about?
2: Um, I, I'll jump in just to talk about um, the NHL and and their stadium series events that they do, like Winter Classic, Winter um, Classic, and you know they started doing these outdoor events uh, back in I want to say 2014, um, the Stadium Series uh, specifically. And we started working with them. They wanted to do you know an outdoor ice hockey game at Dodger Stadium, um, and you know they wanted to create this beach scene because it was in it was in the winter, but it was in California. And, you know, it's really interesting because there's, there's major challenges when you're creating an environment within uh, a venue that is meant to be something else. You know, it's meant to be a baseball stadium, not an ice hockey arena. And, you know, when you look at the scale of the two sports, baseball and ice hockey, There's extreme differences. If you go to an ice hockey game, you can sit right on the glass and the players hit the glass and you're in it. And at a baseball stadium, you know, you could be way back and you've got the whole outfield, you know, and you're, you're so far away from the game because the game needs so much more space, right? To be played. So they, they had all, we have all these different challenges when you're creating these unique experiences. And, you know, we've worked with the NHL the last couple of years on the Winter Classic, and last year um, it was um, at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. And um, they, you know, they definitely, they also want to integrate the local environment and the, the regional experience. And so for Dallas, you know, they had the ice hockey rink here, but they also had a rodeo kind of going on at the same time and it's wild it
1: goes it's, hand in hand with hockey
2: it, right it's it's so wild but the <laughs> the fans love it they love it's such a unique experience and i mean it is amazing that stadium was packed it was sold out i was there it was new year's day and you know and i'm talking to you know even at the airport um talking to people like there are people that come in hockey fans are, are die. They're, they're just, they're diehard, man. They, they fly in from Canada. They, they'll come to this event, even if they, they are not a fan of one of the two teams because, um, you know, and, and the interesting thing too, is they will, they will buy the Jersey of the team they want to (laughs) support. So the whole stadium, it's, it's wild. The whole stadium, everyone's wearing a Jersey Of one of the teams that's there and they have specialty jerseys for each event and it's it's so crazy but it's so great to see just the passion of 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 the fans and but i know we're talking about that trans the transformation of a venue and you know we experience it on the event side the temporary kind of come in and it's you know you have like this construction site that's happening and then on the permanent side i'll let darlene talk about um An example like Little Caesars Arena where it's more of a permanent integration from ice hockey to basketball.
0: Yeah, in Detroit they came up with a really unique conception. Essentially the arena is within a streetscape. So there's a series of buildings that create the edge of the quote-unquote arena property that are um, services, they've got restaurants, um, and they're they're envisioned to be in operation even when there's not an event at the arena. You walk within that; the space is like a high-ceilinged streetscape. They called it the Via, and that was conceived as this kind of inner passage and and area to avoid basically the cold winters of Detroit with you know 10,000 of your closest fan friends and uh, then when you're in that space you look upon the jewel which is the skin that they used to clad the arena which became a perfect surface for projected graphics that then could make that venue feel customized to the team who was playing whether that was the Red Wings the Pistons or a musical guest we went to an event we saw ed sheeran there and let me tell you that merch line was the entire length of the via those fans were into it and uh, it creates a really unique um, energy when you come through the doors and you're you're mixing with fans you're not just walking directly to your seat you've kind of got this space to experience and then you go through this very special kind of skin and then you also have the game experience and the arena itself then has a very um, integrated lighting and audio ceiling system that allows them to adapt to providing the best experience for these different event types. They really saw themselves as being becoming the premier space to highlight Detroit music as well as two of their kind of key sports franchises. So it's a really interesting, um, and kind of complex in its conception. Um, but in the end, I think it delivers something that feels very seamless and customized.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think it's, I mean, a lot of venues now, um, you know, are turning into these sort of multi-purpose arenas. And yeah. um, so, I mean, I think there's you know, some do it better than others. I can think of a, a few that, that um, could use some improvement. But, you know, so, I mean, with, with all of this, I mean, you know, for what we're seeing now, um, I mean, what happens next year? You know, as, <laughs> as hopefully there's there's a, a reboot and we get back in sync on on schedules. Um, you know, does the experience? I mean, what what do you see the experience taking shape as? What what changes? What happens? Um, you know, how do arenas or, or so need to to think about as as people come back into that into that space? Is it is it a, a very big challenge? Is it not a big challenge? Is there? You know what? What do they do? How, I mean, how do you? How do we even advise for that? Considering there's so many questions that are still unanswered.
2: Yeah, it, it definitely is a tough question and a tough um, it's a tough challenge. I mean, certainly there's concern of how quickly fans are going to return to sporting events, and you know, all all um, stadiums are ensuring that they've got the, the right health and safety measures set up because that is a heightened priority for everyone, not just the fans, but for the staff, for the workers, for the athletes. I mean, all around, um, you know, all teams are concerned about this. All sports are concerned about this. Certainly, we've learned a lot working through this with the opportunities that we've had. And, you know, I think that there will definitely be a heightened celebration of fans and teams and an opportunity for, for the teams to increase revenue. And I know, um, you know, that that's a big part of the sporting, you know, the sport event world, but, um, I think health and safety, number one is the biggest concern. The fans want the experience. They want to be there. I mean, MLS right now, they're opening up, um, you know, their stadiums to fans, but limited, and, you know, I think people are experimenting, um, but in a very s- as safe way as possible. Um, but how long will this take? When, how will it transition back? I mean, there were definitely, there'll definitely be a transition. It's not going to, you know, like we said, January 1st, it's, it's all done. Um, we go back to the way that we were. Um, things will be different in the future and different ways of integrating, different ways of, of, um, you know, creating more, more space in the concourses. Um, who knows? Um, but right. definitely lots of big discussions happening. And, um, you know, we, we are honored to be part of those conversations with our clients. So, um, but, you know, I think that it's, it's just unknown.
0: And, it, you know, if, if anything has come out of this, I think it's proof of how adaptable people and organizations and leagues and um, broadcast partners. Everyone has proved that they can pivot, they can uh, change, and they can deliver. And there's something really inspiring in seeing that, you know, and I'm trying to be optimistic, um, because a lot of times it's just feeling pretty scary. And then you see these things happening, and you think, okay, like maybe we can find a way out of this, and maybe, maybe some of these things that we love and that bring us joy can continue, and uh, we don't, and people don't have to suffer. Um, so you know, health and safety is as long as that's maintained. Um, as long as you're mm-hmm. seeing no positive tests coming back from these bubbles or these limited experiences then I think, you know, you can feel good about it. If it starts to go the other way, um, you know, it, it's going to be harder to feel <laughs> positive, but mm-hmm. let's hold on to the optimism and let's see the possibility and change.
1: I No, I, I I share in that optimism, and I think you touched on a really good point, and and maybe I think some don't necessarily appreciate it, is that, you know, these efforts are by a multitude of different groups, like you said. I mean, it's... Mm-hmm. It's those that are working on the fan experience. It's the broadcast partners. It's the team themselves, and um, you know, it's it's the design agencies that are all coming together and that pull these experiences is off. So um, there, there's a lot in the background that I don't think, unfortunately, necessarily gets as as much accolades as they as they should. And so I hope that going forward, that more of that is is recognized and celebrated. Um, as much as obviously with, with the fans themselves, but I think the teams that are, or, or the ones that are coming together, the to partner, um, I think do deserve a fair bit of applause um, because that also helps to, to make these events and experiences come to, to fruition. But of course, my, my big question is: is so NHL predictions, Stanley Cup winner? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, we have to remain neutral.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. That's fair. We are required; good like, answer. we can't
2: cheer for fans. Good we can't answer. wear their gear. Okay. We are here for everyone. Okay.
1: <laughs> good good yeah. answer. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. I, I will. I will make mine. Just since okay. it's on record, I, I will say the Avalanche. I think look pretty,
2: okay.
1: pretty good. Uh, of course, obviously, the New Jersey Devils if not,
2: uh, <laughs> did not well. participate.
1: But uh, <laughs> I will say the Avalanche looked good so far against the Coyotes. Um, so that's that's my prediction. You're here to hear first on this on this podcast. I so like we'll it. See. I'll revisit nice. this.
0: They are looking nice. pretty fierce.
1: Yes. So so we'll, we'll see. <laughs> so I guess I can't ask you either about the Jazz. I know they're in a tough battle with the Nuggets. oh right. they're in a tough battle. Uh, you know,
0: I, um, yeah. it's it's interesting that they won yesterday. Um, I would say ultimately that I think the Nuggets probably have the team that can move on, but. You know in in these situations you never know because it's really who's able to string the more that you watch some of these nba games the more you realize like as you go down the roster they're very there are not teams necessarily in the playoffs right now where you think that's pretty weak um they're all fairly stacked and yes some have bigger names but um you know it i guess what you hope for as a fan is tough battled seven game series because that means that both teams were able to to reach their highest level at some point as and then you know one team just happens to come out on top um but the competition has been fantastic
1: yeah i was just gonna say that i mean out out of all of this it's nice that we can have this conversation and just say that we're intrigued and we do want to watch So yeah, Mm -hmm. we could be having an entirely different conversation to where uh, we're talking about our favorite Netflix shows right now instead.
0: uh, (laughs)
1: Right. It's not
0: so bad. It's not so bad. uh, That's episode two, Brian.
1: That is episode two. It's entirely on
0: Netflix.
1: (laughs) What are you binge watching today? Um,
0: (laughs) I'll start at the top.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's like a four hour podcast.
0: Yeah, exactly. Very meandering.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, for jumping on and for uh, for chatting with me today. Um, I really appreciate it. And I, you know, please tell everyone how they can they can find you. Obviously, they can uh, just turn on the the TV and see your amazing work <laughs> now and and in the future. But um, as far as online and social and all those good things.
2: Absolutely. Well, um, we're on all major social media platforms, but we do consistently post on our Instagram, which is at infinite underscore scale. And obviously our website, infinitescale.com. Thank you so much for hosting us today. It was our pleasure and, um, a treat to have a conversation with you and, and just talk through some of these wild times. So, um, thank you. We appreciate it.
1: No. It- uh, no, it's actually my my pleasure. So, again, thank you, uh, Amy, and thank you, Darlene. Um, again, truly a pleasure, and very much enjoyed this conversation. So,
0: awesome. Thank you, Brian. Till next time. Okay. Thanks, Brian. Take care of yourself out there.
1: Well, no, thank you for listening to this episode of the Design by Experience podcast. I am Brian Mazaros, and again, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at OpenOnGlobal. Global. And um, again, join me as we continue to explore different perspectives on experience design. Till next time.